a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course, address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits, welcome. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode on the podcast. As I'm recording this, it's a really rainy day here in Surrey and I know we've got a difficult conversation ahead of us. I had this wonderful chat. I'm not sure how many of you have listened to it. It's episode seven on the podcast with the lovely Helen Munro. And Helen talks so openly and eloquently about her story of fertility, the loss of fertility after her cancer treatment. She talked about her thought processes, how her emotions changed over the years. And her podcast episode really struck a chord with so many people because I've had loads of messages and emails about it. And actually, so many more questions came from people listening to this episode. Some people wrote and said, gosh, I, I didn't even have the fertility conversation with my team before I was or around the time of my diagnosis. Other people said, I wish I had explored it more and now it's too late and where do I go, go from here? And it just opened so many more layers of added pain, really. If you think of our cancer diagnosis as the main injury, then menopause and then the chat of fertility after cancer are sort of the added insults to our primary injury. And sometimes they change our lives and the cause of our lives. And this will affect us forever sometimes more so than other times. And I know people who are grandparents, but they might be grandparents to their stepchildren's children. And they are wonderful grandparents and they love their grandchildren so dearly. And sometimes the feeling will arise that they're not your own. And we all have valid feelings, even if they might come up decades after perhaps our primary cancer diagnosis. And I guess this is the key takeaway for me. All feelings are valid, regardless of when they are for you and when they come up and arise for you. And so I didn't know how to tackle the conversation best and how to sort of further signpost. And so I thought it'd be great to get a fertility expert in who's really knowledgeable in menopause and fertility. And so I've invited the lovely Kate Please in and to speak to us today. Kate has worked within a really large IVF clinic for years. She's completed her master's in science in reproductive medicine, which specifically focused on fertility and menopause. And with all her experience in women's health, I just want Kate to explain the process for us of what happens when we're first diagnosed, what happens in terms of freezing our eggs or freezing sperm and, and all of that, and really explaining the processes. Now, I know 
this can really trigger really upsetting feelings for you. And it can be really helpful to talk this through. So Kate and I are also signposting to a handful of websites that might be really useful. One is the Counselling Association of the British Infertility Counselling Association. And I put that into the show notes. Kate is a really lovely nurse and she's really warm in her approach. And she's so brilliant at how she educates in different circumstances, individual, but also organizations. And I really hope that this conversation is going to be useful at whichever point in your journey with cancer and fertility, you're listening to our conversation. You'll all know that by the time I had my cancer diagnosis, I've had three children already. So the conversation of fertility after my own cancer diagnosis was never something that impacted my life, but I know it impacts so many of you. And I also know this isn't the only conversation we're going to have about this. I guess we're going to have conversations about grief and fertility and come into terms with the causes and U-turns our lives have taken. And so today's half hour conversation is a short signposting and informative conversation to help all of us understand what happens when we're first diagnosed with cancer and what the conversations could be with an infertility or fertility clinic and who we can access, what help we can access if you listen to this further down the line from your primary cancer diagnosis. Let's welcome Kate in. Wonderful, Kate. I'm so glad we're here to tackle this really difficult conversation. Yeah, definitely, Danny. It's one that uh, I'm looking forward to having and getting the information out there. Yeah, we just started to talk about your dogs and I've got a dog. And if people are listening to this conversation whilst they're out on a dog walk, all I wanted to sort of add is many emotions come up when we talk about fertility and cancer treatment. And if anyone is triggered to reach out, um, I'm going to put a few helplines that could be useful in the chat or reach out to you or email me um, so that no one is left alone sitting with those difficult conversations and feelings. And I found this on the World Wide Web. People may be able to store eggs, embryos, or ovarian tissue before cancer treatment. If your fertility does not return after <coughs> cancer treatment, you may be able to use them to help you get pregnant. If you did not store them before cancer treatment, you may decide to use donor eggs. It sounds so straightforward. It sounds so matter of fact. But how does it work in practice, Kate? With all your experience, what happens in, in reality? Well, I've worked as a specialist women's health nurse in fertility for many, many years. I'd love to say it's all very simple, but as you know, we're people, we're individuals, and we all have our own path. So in terms of in practice, if you're looking to freeze your gametes, which could be your eggs, sperm or embryos, we'll probably particularly focus on eggs and embryos. It's something that can be done prior to any um, cancer treatment or surgeries, etc., how it works is, is that you would have to have your gametes, your eggs or embryos frozen prior to any treatment such as chemotherapy or surgery that you have. So it's it's very important to think about the, the planning. And I appreciate when you when you have a, a diagnosis of an illness such as cancer, that there's a lot going on at that point. Um, you're dealing with the diagnosis, you're dealing with hospital appointments, your family. But it's, it's, it is something else to think about, but it's very important because potentially it does give you the option to preserve your gametes, to come back and use that at an alternative time. And so <coughs> I work with um, a lot of women in their 20s and 30s and, and even later, and we often we postpone having babies. But I remember back to my own diagnosis 
I would have given my left arm, my left leg, anything. Survival was my main focus. I can't imagine how hard it is for someone to then say, oh, there is another appointment. It's a fertility appointment. Do you want to turn up to that? Does everyone even turn up and have the conversation or does everyone get the same access in the country? Really good point, Danny. And unfortunately, there isn't a universal process as to, you know, you'll you'll have a diagnosis. And then if you're within a certain age group, you'll have an appointment about your fertility. It very much depends on what's available in your local area. It depends on what consultant you're seeing and what referral pathways they have. And as you say, sometimes you it's it's also about having the headspace. It's really, I think a really important point is to say is even if you go for that initial appointment with a fertility specialist, it doesn't mean that you have to say yes at that point. You're not on a conveyor belt, well, I'm at the appointment, so I may as well just keep going with whatever they you know suggest. You're the person making the decisions about you. So you can still go for the appointment and discuss things, make a decision and have the information that's right for you. But I think it is important to be aware that not every person with a, with a diagnosis of cancer or illness is automatically given that appointment or information. We're working to get that awareness out there, which is why we're here, but it isn't something that happens to every patient. But I think right. it's also important to understand patients can come from all different clinics, different areas. Right. And so what happens if I was lucky enough to have a consultant that said, actually, there is this fertility appointment, consider going. What would happen at an appointment like that? Yeah. Would we meet someone like you? Well, you would meet me, yes, if you were very lucky, <laughs> or maybe not. And you would also potentially meet a, a specialist fertility doctor. What happens is, is if your consultant is aware of the process or there is a, a referral pathway in your trust or hospital, they would refer you usually to your local fertility clinic, um, one that is able to offer assisted reproduction such as IVF. And potentially that could be something that's in your hospital or it could be something that's a, a separate clinic. And once once the clinic receives the information, they will contact you to book an appointment. And initially, that could be some blood tests, some specialist blood tests that the clinic needs to do to see more to learn more about your fertility. And I know as a patient, you're probably thinking, well, I've had enough tests and blood tests and scans and things as part of a diagnosis. But it is just to give us a bit more information on your on your fertility. And then you have a a conversation with a fertility specialist. So that's that appointment I mentioned earlier, where you'll talk about options for you. Is that freezing your sperm? Is that freezing your eggs, freezing your embryos? How does that work? What's the treatment plan? What's the time scales? What's the success rates? And what does it mean for you? So that you're able to make that informed decision as if that's the right path for you at that point in your journey. Out of these (laughs) treatments you've mentioned which one is the quickest is it the quickest to have your sperm taken of course but on the menopause and cancer podcast I assume we have a lot of females listening to this so yeah you're absolutely (laughs) right Danny Um, obviously for um, men or uh, those who individuals who wish to freeze their sperm that is something that doesn't need uh, particular regimes or um, medication or um, a certain minor surgery to do that so they can have all of their blood tests done prior sign all of their relevant consent forms have their discussion with the doctor and then arrange for the sperm to be frozen over one or two sessions depending upon what's advised for them so it's a little bit more shall we say straightforward and, and quicker in the time scale but obviously, as you know, those, those of, of us who are, are, are women or individuals who have um, ovaries and a uterus, we 
we like to do things a little bit different, don't we? So it does take a little bit longer for us because we have to, we can't just sort of, you know, book you in next week, Danny, and say, right, let's go ahead, get you in with a procedure because we've got to work with your body. So if you're still having periods, we need to work giving you hormonal treatment to stimulate your ovaries, not to produce just one egg like you might do, but to produce as many eggs as possible. So very similar to an IVF cycle because we want to freeze as many eggs as we can. So we have to time your cycle for the right point using medication and then use other medications to stimulate your ovaries to produce the eggs. And we monitor you through that. So we do scans and blood tests to determine the right time. And how long does a process like that take or how is it weeks or days or? We try to get you through, most clinics will try to get you through as quickly as they can because they're fully aware that you may have other surgery or other treatments waiting that are are, are very much needed as a priority. So we try to get you through. Ideally, some of the quickest protocols, if you're able to time it right with your period or use some medication, you're looking at a couple of weeks to get that completed because it takes about 10 to 14 days for all of the medication to work and for your body to be at the right point that the eggs are ready for us to collect. So a couple of things really stood out here. A, it's the timing. Um, I remember I just wanted to get my cancer cut out and I wish I had taken more time to really consider what I was doing, but I was, I just remember the urge, get rid of it, get rid of it. But the second thing you said is that you would use obviously a hormone treatment to harvest those eggs. Now, many cancers and many people listening to this might have a cancer who's hormone dependent, some breast cancers, ovarian cancers. Wouldn't that worry people immensely if you're then putting those big hormones back in to harvest eggs? Isn't that almost like a, a real added worry? Or is that just what I'm thinking now? No, it's a very good question. It's very important, first of all, to be aware that not everyone will be able to freeze their eggs. That's why you have that appointment with a fertility specialist. They'll look at your medical history, your diagnosis to see whether or not that's a viable option for you. But if you are, depending upon, as you say, what um, your other surgery or other um, illness in relation to cancer is we can use certain medications to dampen down for example we've we some you know we can use medications to, to dampen down your hormone levels and then give our medications so there is no one one size fits all just like in in anything or one medication fits all the uh, your doctor will just will prescribe the best plan for you obviously minimizing as many risks as we can and that's the hard thing about all of these conversations, we've got the benefits and the risks. And that's what we're doing all along, isn't it? From day one of when you're getting any diagnosis of any illness doesn't need to be cancer, you're always looking for the benefits and the risks. And this is so difficult, because the benefits are a possible outcome in the future. And that is a hopeful pregnancy, it's not even a given. And what a difficult conversation to manage. Is there emotional counselling around all of that Absolutely. time as well and I think that's really important because as you say we're offering you a potential opportunity to preserve your fertility but there is no guarantee so it's very important that as you say we un- the patient understands the risks versus the benefits and what it means for them both now and in the immediate in the immediate future we certainly offer um, and, and most um, fertility clinics offer counseling we, we recommend that because you're also going through the process a lot quicker than some other patients because you've had a, a you know potentially a life-changing diagnosis that as you say of course understandably you're very focused on the next steps for your treatment for that and then we kind of come along as a another branch on the tree 
oh, because of the age you are and, you know, have you thought about this as an option? Your brain's thinking, well, I where am I going to fit that in with all, in, in, in the space, with all the other headspace that I'm keeping for understandably what's going through? So, yes, counselling. there's counselling available for you at most clinics to talk things through, understand the implications of what that means potentially for you and also if you have a partner. And I suppose because of the nature of the cancer added, you will try and do an egg storage procedure once, right? It's not like you hear from so many IVF patients that they have several attempts, but, but with this egg storage, it's one, one sort of cycle. Yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, generally, because as you say, there is that time factor, you're waiting to get your treatment done and we're fully aware of that for clinics. Generally, there is only that one, that one opportunity to, to do that. So we have to, um, as you say, just have one treatment plan and one attempt. And where do the eggs get stored and do they get stored forever? Wow. Yes. The um, eggs get safely stored. So you, um, when your eggs are ready to be collected, you have a minor surgical procedure. So again, very similar to if you have um, an IVF cycle, the eggs are collected. And if you're freezing your eggs, the embryologist will look at the eggs under the microscope and they will determine which ones are suitable to be frozen because obviously only the mature eggs are able to be fertilized in the future. So they will select the best eggs that are available to store and they will freeze them using advanced vitrification techniques, which means that that hopefully gives you the best success rates in the future. They are then stored. And as a, um, as a patient who may be having um, an illness or surgery that may impact on their fertility, you have the option to, to freeze those for up to 55 years. There's a specialist consent form you'll complete with your consultant or nurse advising you. And you then have the option to review that um, at, at certain time scales to help you uh, make that decision. So it's not, oh, we'll see you in 50 years. It's we might review it in 10 years, because yes, at that yeah. point, it's probably the last thing on your mind thinking, well, when will I return to use them? You're focused on what's happening to you now. But it's important to understand. So it's very important to be aware that we will look at the procedures and what we need to do now. But we'll also obviously guide you on what happens to the eggs once they're frozen and stored or mm. embryos. Mm. And the embryo storage, is that a bigger procedure? It takes, that's a bigger, how, how does that work? No, it's, it's it's very similar. The only difference is, so for example, if you were, um, you had a partner, so you, you wanted to freeze your embryos instead, then rather than just freezing those suitable eggs after the eggs have been collected, the embryologist will fertilize the eggs with your partner's sperm, either IVF, putting them in the dish and leaving them overnight to see what happens, or ICSI, where a specialist embryologist will inject the eggs with sperm together. They will then freeze any suitable embryos. So it's very right. much the same technique, just at a different stage in the treatment. Right. And what's ovarian tissue storage? So ovarian tissue storage is a little bit more specialised and a little bit different. So rather than collecting those eggs or making embryos, a piece of your ovary will be stored for um, future use. So it's a more of a it's more of a, a, a different surgical procedure where a, a small amount of your ovary will be stored and frozen for future use. And the, the goal is to replace that back to you in future to potentially then start your cycles again. It's something that's coming and more more looked at now than before, but it's not quite as common as the um, eggs or freezing eggs or embryos. Wow. Okay. So this is all happening before really my cancer treatment has started or once yep. cancer treatment has started. And I've got loads of questions about what happens to single people or those in same-sex relationships, but can I park that thought for a moment? 
we've now had, say, this procedure, we've talked about it, we've stored some eggs, I'm going through active cancer treatment. This takes a year sometimes, this takes shorter. Sometimes people are on anti-hormone treatments for five, 10 years. In the back of your head, you've got the wish to have children, you've got your eggs there or your embryo storage there. At what point do people usually revisit the conversation with you or with the hospital from your experience, what, what what happens there? So it can really vary. There can be often significant timescales before patients return to um, consider using their gametes. And that, as you say, can be for a number of reasons. They may be having prolonged treatment. They may want some time um, after finishing whatever treatment or surgery they had. Or for them, it may not have been the right time to think about freezing their gametes and, and then reusing them. So I think the answer is it's very variable. It's very important to understand that you can come back at any time to um, consider having, you know, having discussing your options for um, looking at thawing the eggs or embryos or where you were, what you want to do with your treatment. Obviously, from a concern from a fertility point of view, we want to make sure that you're fit and well following whatever um, surgery or illnesses that you've had because your overall health is very important to us. And obviously, it's the right time for you. But often it can be a couple of months, depending on what it is, or it could be many, many years down the line. So that it's really variable is the answer. Yeah. And what I love about you is, you have all this knowledge in the fertility space, but also menopause is a real passion of yours and you've done extensive reading and research and and work in that field. Now, obviously, so many women I speak to are in menopause because of their cancer treatment. And now when we are in menopause, whether that is maybe periods have stopped through chemotherapy, maybe there was radiation, maybe the hormone treatment we've just mentioned, is it then possible to go and have fertility treatment using the eggs or the embryo you might have stored if you're then in a muddle of menopause as well how does where does that leave us like that term muddle of menopause I think (laughs) I think that's me most days actually but absolutely right it's a very it's a very good question to ask and the answer is is if you've already got your eggs or embryos stored then potentially they're almost on ice at that point they were frozen so there isn't the time factor if you were using your own eggs that would be affected by medical conditions your age etc so they can be used so if we were thawing eggs they could be um, fertilized with your partner or a donor's sperm and then any suitable embryos can be replaced and obviously with embryos that's already been done so the embryo can be thawed and if that survives the um, thaw process can be replaced From your point of view as a patient, um, providing that, as we said, you're fit and well to be able to have the treatment and the consultant is happy, we we give you medication not to stimulate your ovaries this time round because that's already been done. We give you medication to build up the lining of your womb. So we give you hormone medication to get the lining of your womb in that ultimate place that it's in the right time to replace the embryo to give you the best chance of a pregnancy. So it's much, much more straightforward. There's no specific surgical procedures. It's just a case of preparing your your body, preparing the lining of your womb to have the embryo replaced, and then potentially um, a small procedure, a little bit like a smear test when they replace the embryo. Okay. So much more straightforward afterwards. (laughs) Much more straightforward. And if you're not having periods, because as you say, you're in the menopause muddle or you're, you know, depending on what's happening, we can give you medication to to manage that. Um, Most clinics are very used to treating women at different stages of their reproductive journey. And we have lots of different medications that can help you with that. Okay. What about those people who didn't have a chance to 
go down the embryo or egg collection. And we arrive in this menopause model and we don't know when our fertility will recover. Say we're off the, the time where you're, you would be in perimenopause, you might be in your 30s, 40s, and you're waiting. And often I hear it that doctors say, well, your periods may come back. Do you know? Do, do you know more? <laughs> So you're absolutely right. There is no hard and you know no rule that says once you've had um, chemotherapy or surgery, depending upon what treatment you had, some ladies' periods and fertility can return. But we don't have that exact science to say yes, it will be all of us, or it might only be a proportion. So we are in that um, process of very much you know giving it time to see what your body does after the procedures and surgery. However, if if for whatever reason that isn't an option for you, or you haven't seen periods or your fertility return. There are also lots of options that you can consider. So, for example, there's treatments such as egg donation that uses um, donor eggs. So a, another lady um, who's within the right age and right medical history, et cetera, who's been approved can donate eggs that can be given to you and you can fertilize those with your partner or donor sperm and continue with your treatment. There's also embryo adoption, although a little rarer, that's often a possibility. So this could come from other couples who've had lots of embryos frozen, but they don't want to use them anymore. They would like to donate them so that other couples or single women can, can use them. So there's options for embryo adoption as well. So it just gets you thinking if you're, if you're, if you're you know, you're, you're starting to think what, what would be working for me with my fertility journey at this point if using your own eggs may not be an option because your fertility hasn't returned or you're unsure if that would work, then there are other options. Mm. And if I'm still hopeful that my periods might return, can one have access to a fertility clinic and can you check how close I am? Is there a way of sort of checking where you're at? Again, there's no exact science in terms of we'll do a blood test or a scan and we'll know exactly where you are because we're all individuals and the body never fails to surprise us or do things that we never thought would happen. But we can do blood tests to look at your ovarian reserve if that's indicated. That would give us an idea of how you may respond to fertility treatments. We can do scans to look at your ovaries and uterus to see if we feel that that's going to be suitable. So we can give you, provide you with more information, but there isn't anything specific we can say you know a test or uh, something that we can do to say this is where you are in your journey because some women may have spontaneous ovulation they may have treatment a long time ago and then their fertility returns and we're all individual yeah yeah and what happens to those people who are in same-sex relationships or are on their own yeah that's an important what are one. Our, our, our legal options I, I have no idea so if obviously you're in a same-sex relationship, let's say, and you have a diagnosis of cancer, you still have the option to, um, depending on where you live and what's available in your area, to preserve your facility. But obviously thinking further down the line, if you don't have a male partner, it would be looking to see, is it an option of using a donor sperm to fertilize the eggs to create embryos for you? Or potentially for some single women, embryo adoption may be something that they want to think about. Or as you say, very similar to a same-sex couple, freezing their own eggs and looking at fertilising them with donor sperm to make embryos. Yeah. It's so much to get your head round. It working, is. Isn't it? Working in this field, is it positive or is, does it come with a lot of grief and a lot of upset? How did you feel navigating a big NHS clinic? 
Open and honestly, Danny, I would say it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. You get some fantastic stories of patients who've been through so much on their journey and then they're coming away, they're having a positive pregnancy test, they're having a baby, something that they've always wanted. But it's I, I'm a great believer it's very important to be open and honest and balanced. Obviously, sadly, there are some patients um, as we talked about earlier, not all fertility treatment works for everyone. It doesn't give you a guarantee of taking that baby away. It gives you a, an opportunity to do the best that you can and have that chance. But obviously, for some patients, it doesn't work. But whatever happens to patients, we've always been there to support them and advise them to do whatever is right for them. So we, we know, obviously, that not all treatment works. So we're here to support. We're here to listen and we're here to advise to help help you as a patient get the information you need and make the right decision. Thank you. It's so reassuring to talk to someone like you who's not just knowledgeable but compassionate. How do you think people feel when they're first going through? Do you feel when you have the first appointment? Because I'm sort of thinking if anyone is listening to this who might have just been recently diagnosed, what can they take away from our conversation? Is it do turn up and at least have the conversation you haven't got to decide now. Absolutely. I think that's actually one of the most important points. Often in terms of when I used to see patients, they have often had their um, consultation appointment with the doctor first, and then they'll kind of arrive to me um, to talk about logistically what happens and talk about medication. And, and it's often at that point that I think from a patient point of view, there's so much to take in that you've almost got that rabbit in a headlights look because there's only so much you can take in at that point. So I think my sort of first um, piece of advice would be exactly mirroring what you've said. Don't panic if you need to just say, I'm going to go away and I'm just going to think about this. I'm just going to digest it all. That's absolutely fine. Unfortunately, we don't have the time factor where we say just come back whenever you like. But even if you say, I'm just going to go away for a few days, I'm going to talk to my partner, I'm going to talk to my friends, my family, I'm just going to take that in because there's nothing worse than, than feeling that you can't do that because we all process things differently and we all have our own unique support system. So never be afraid to say, I'm going to write all that down and I'm going to go away. I've often even said that to patients, you know, go away, have a few days, I'll give you a call. You don't need to tell me anything at that point, but you can just tell me where you're at. Because when you, you know yourself, it's a bit like when you get into the dentist, you'll nod away at really anything. We're going to take all your teeth out, right? Okay. Because you're in the room and you're sat there and you just think, I'll just say whatever it needs to be done. When you get home, your brain kind of slows down a little bit, doesn't it? So take yeah. the time that you need. Obviously access any support services, any support groups, any counselling services that your clinic offers. And fundamentally, even if you've had an appointment and you've still got questions, that's absolutely fine. Don't ever be afraid to go back to your clinic and say, can we just run through that one more time? Can we just talk about how that would work? Because you've got a lot going on. We're not just dealing with your fertility journey. We're dealing with a life potentially life-changing diagnosis and support. And we've got to organise all of that in a very short space of time. And that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. If anyone is listening to this conversation who is maybe a few years down the line from their treatment and they maybe didn't have the capacity to turn up to their fertility appointment or make decisions and they're now thinking, oh, I don't know where I'm at. Where is my fertility? I'm not even sure if I want children, but I'd like a conversation. Can our GP refer us back to a fertility clinic? At any point? You can get referred by your GP, but you may find it quicker to um, self-refer. So you can have a look on the HFEA website and type in your postcode that comes up with your local clinics. Obviously, this is usually on a private basis, but it gives you the option to think, 
well, I just if you just think, I just want to go and talk about my fertility options with a fertility specialist just to see what's going on, to see what would be right for me. You can you can have a little look. There's also Fertility Network, which is the national charity. They have lots of information on treatment options, as does the HFEA. So you can have a little look at your leisure as such and just get an idea and, and, and a feel for, for what's out there as well. Yeah. What I would also well, say is um, if you're a patient and you're, you know, in the, you've had that diet, you know, you've had that, you know, that life changing diagnosis or you're in the midst of it. Sometimes fertility isn't always mentioned. So if you're listening to that now and you're thinking, hold on, I'm in the middle of getting a diagnosis and it hasn't been mentioned. Don't be afraid to go back to your consultants and the other specialities and say, can I talk to someone about my fertility? Because sometimes, you're, as we said, we are so focused on understandably that diagnosis that we, we're encouraging you just to think outside the box a little bit wider. Yeah. And we can link to both of those websites and resources in the show notes. Will you send me the links? Yeah, that's not a problem. We can leave the links. And how can people contact you now? Because you left your big NHS clinic and how can people contact you? And what do you do now in your everyday life? So I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a very fortunate like you, Danny, that no two days are the same. Um, I do a combination of clinical work in fertility and menopause, um, work-based training, consult- support consultations and um, lecturing and study. I'm on Instagram at fertility underscore menopause support. Um, I have a website which is called Conceivable Fertility Support, but we cover fertility and menopause. So I'm out there and giving information. And my goal is just to educate, inform and inspire in in a friendly way so that even if you just remember one thing from a podcast or one thing from a post, you take that away, you've made a positive change for you. Yeah, thank you so much. I think what I really take away from our conversation today is at whatever stage anyone is listening to this, it'll always bring up so many emotions. And I'm assuming they aren't always the easiest to deal with. But at any stage, we can have access, we can have the conversation, and we can talk through it with an expert again. And and that's better, isn't it, than sitting with all of this alone and thinking, what if or should I have? And just to get it out there and chat, chat it through again. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than sitting in your room late at night on your own thinking, where do I go with this? Reaching out is scary sometimes, but really brave because you can get the information and support that you need. And then you know that you're making the right decision for you. And even as a patient, even if you, as we said, went to that appointment, but you thought it's not a right decision for me, you know that you've looked at all options and you've made the right path for you. So that's that's our job to inform you and help you to make the right decision for you. Mm. thank you so much for your time today thank you Danny I've really enjoyed it thank you for having me and I think it's been so important to raise raise the issue because often we are very focused on what happens with a life-changing diagnosis but having you know being able to raise the issue of what happens about my fertility and what happens afterwards I think that's really important so thank you for raising the issue thank you so much thank you Right. So Kate has left and I'm sat here hoping that we have been able to explain some things that perhaps are helpful for you. Maybe this has reignited a desire for you to continue the conversation, to seek out expert advice. Maybe you're thinking, gosh, it's too much to handle for me. I've got no capacity. I just need to park it. And maybe you're sitting here listening to this with really difficult feelings and emotions, in which case do have a look in the show notes. We're listing a few websites that can be really helpful for you to look at. I just want to give you all a big hug because I know 
Menopause after cancer is an additional layer of difficulty, adding fertility and all of the emotions that come with it into the context is huge, huge, huge. And it can feel like it's too much. And that grief process takes a long time, maybe a lifetime sometimes. And often people have relationships and they might have grandchildren, which are from their partner or spouse, and they have wonderful relationships with them. And I'm sure sometimes there is still that feeling that they're not your own, they're not your biological, maybe stepchildren or, or grandchildren. And, and I'm sure these flashbacks can happen at any time, reminding us of how our lives had, how they changed because of our cancer diagnosis, all of these added, added layers that we probably never imagined would even happen when we were first diagnosed. And so that just leaves me with uh, sending you all a really big hug, a huge portion of love. And I really hope you can reach out to any of the support services we've linked in the show notes. Should you want to take this conversation further or should you just want to talk about your feelings with an expert? Sending you lots of love. And I'm really sorry sometimes we can't talk about loads of positive and fun and exciting things that are just happy on the podcast because so much of it is difficult isn't it but i hope nonetheless that it's been helpful lots of love danny mm -hmm.